Welcome back to Unbroken Arrows. I'm Catherine. And I'm Greg. And today we're kind of just going to go over a modgepodge of things. I do believe it's a hodgepodge of things. What? Yes, hodgepodge. Not what? A, not, a, not a modgepodge, a hodgepodge. <laughs> okay. But uh, one of the things that we do want to talk about is the fact that we did miss a week uh, last week. Uh, for those of you that are active listeners and you were looking forward to an upload last Thursday. All, all four of you. Plus, Thank you. I was going to say all two, but yeah. Um, no, life is life was happening. So a lot a lot of things were going on and and uh, we were not able to to meet that deadline, but we are going to try to make sure that we are able to continue to upload on Thursday mornings. What at five o'clock in the morning? I think it's is when set it's... at 5 a.m. Sure. So so we are sorry for that, if those of you were looking forward to that, but uh, we will move on and, and continue to try to um, bring you content every week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, some of the things that were going on, your sister Mesa was visiting family in Colorado and, and was sick with the flu bug and among some other things and was hospitalized a couple of times and your mom and I drove to Rapid to pick her up, met her aunt and uncle, and, and we brought her back. And uh, and that uh, getting her settled and trying to get her healthy again that's a and and that's part of life too. I see, so, and she's doing real good now. So. Yeah, she is back to work and and uh, uh, actually went tubing last night. Right? Yes, that was a lot of fun, guys. If you haven't done that, I guess. In Sioux Falls, we have Great Bear, and it's just a big hill, and you slide down on it too. But it's a lot of fun. And they have uh, they make their own snow. Yeah, right? they so, do. So even though we've been in the 40s and 50s, even on some days, they still have they mm-hmm. still have enough snow to uh, to ski or snowboard and and to tube. So, mm-hmm. well, um, another one of the things that uh, <laughs> happened recently here was that uh, you had. An interview for an internship at, uh, we'll just refer to it as as one of the a major outdoor uh, company industry that people I'm sure would be familiar with. And uh, so how'd that go, Catherine? <laughs> it was awful. It was so bad. Um, it Like the whole thing started with me being late to the interview because it was... Everything's virtual there based out of uh, one of the Western states. Um, And I was under the impression that they were just going to call me on my cell phone. So I'm waiting for a phone call. Meanwhile, I'm actually supposed to be logged into like a Google meet meeting. So finally, when I figured that out, I'm super flustered. I like forget everything that I've ever learned. Um, And then the highlight, which my family has continued to make jokes about, which it's pretty funny. So... I can't blame them, um, was we were talking about like social media platforms and all this. And I was saying how Instagram is my favorite. I just enjoy looking at people like being creative and posting, whereas sometimes like, you know, TikTok is just mindless scrolling. Um, and then I made the comment that Facebook's usually for the older crowds and they tend to write a lot more and then <laughs> trying to be funny. Cause at this point, this intern, like this interview was already on the downhill slope. It so was I'm like, spiraling down. yeah. So in my thought process is if I can just make this guy laugh, like he's going to hire me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm like 
talking about Facebook and I was like, and I, I don't really like to read. I just like to look at pictures. <laughs> and he, I don't think understood that that was a joke. And he's just like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, please just hang up now. <laughs> well, you know, it was a learning experience. And uh, when I asked Catherine if, if it was uh, something that we could talk about today, you know, uh, my thought is that, you know, it, it's a good example that shows that not everything in life goes perfectly. And it's a sign of resilience to, to be able to laugh at it now. And, and, uh, and you never know. It, it, it was so bad. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, I think I shared with you the story that I was, when I decided to go back into the classroom, I was interviewing with a, and I was a teacher for 18 years and a principal for 12 and a curriculum director intermixed in among that time. And I was interviewing uh, for a teaching spot with a, an assistant principal who was going to take over the building and the curriculum director. And I realized halfway through that I had turned the table and I was interviewing them. And when I realized <laughs> it was like, I should just get up and leave because there's no way they're going to hire me. So it happens. So, but you oh never know. Goodness. You yeah, never know you what's going to happen. Maybe up. he realized it was a joke after we hung up and was like, you know what? She is really funny. I think we should just hire her. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll we, see. That's right. <laughs> well, the other thing that uh, you, I guess, was it last weekend or two weekends ago already? But uh, you went on the final two pheasant weekends. hunt yes. of South Dakota with uh, your brother, AJ, and, and a group of friends. So how'd that turn out? That was a lot of fun. Um, it's been a while since we've had a final weekend pheasant hunt that was like upper 40s um, in temperature. Saturday, we limited out an eight-person limit by like 2, 2.30. Um, and that was a lot of fun because it was a smaller group of family for the most part, or family friends that I've known my whole life. And then the second day, we had... You're hunting the same pieces that you hunted the day before, so it's always going to be a little bit slower. But we had a couple of different friends come out. And that was still a lot of fun. We ended up with a seven-person limit um, about 3.34 o'clock. Um, and we had, I think, nine people. So we didn't quite make it there. But again, it was 45 degrees. It was almost too nice to be pheasant hunting because the birds could just kind of be wherever they wanted. They're not having to be tucked into any cover or anything like that. But we had a lot of fun. So, And for our Nebraska listeners... Um, they don't start hunting in South Dakota until 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. So that uh, means that first day, if you had it by two, two thirty, that's a, about a four hour four hunt. Four hours. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, that was so much fun. It's been a while since it's been 40 degrees and we've been able to get birds like that. So, and I do have to, poke a little fun at your boyfriend, Nate, because, you know, as I'm going to describe it, it's going to be a little bit different than probably how it actually happened. But in my mind, as he told me the story, there was one drift in the entire field and he tried to drive through it and got stuck. So <laughs> pretty much, I don't, pretty much. So no, uh, that was actually, um, that was day two. Um, and one of, it was actually a guy from work and I'm, I'm guessing that he's going to listen to this because he said he's listened to the podcast before, um, hadn't really ever hunted with a group like this. So it's Nate and his name's Brand. 
And Nate gets stuck in this drift and looks over at Brant and goes, run. And Brant's like, what? <laughs> like, why are we running? But yeah, that, that was pretty funny. The, uh, you know, it was, I'm going to have to say it was a Dodge Ram uh, that got stuck. I own a Dodge Ram, but Nate, I haven't been stuck yet. Just, just saying. This isn't the first time Nate's been stuck either. So. Oh, new information. Well, you and Nate also went shed hunting. We did go shed hunting. And describe what shed hunting is for those that really don't understand it. Shed hunting is basically going for a little hike out where deer usually are and seeing if you can find the antlers from the past year. And why are their antlers just lying on the ground? Because they shed their antlers every year. Do all deer shed their antlers every year? Uh, for the most part, every once in a while, you'll get a goofy one that for some reason didn't shed. And you'll see pictures of them like online. I've never seen it, but it'll and be weird situations like that. But yeah, most deer, okay. all deer shed. And was your shed hunt successful? We didn't find any fresh sheds. Nate found one little like fork. Um that was a couple of years old. So that was, that's always kind of cool. Like finding the smaller ones, you're actually like more successful or you're a better shed hunter if you can find the little ones than if you can see the big ones. I could see, I could understand that, especially the color of the antlers really blends in with all the colors of the vegetation and so forth on well, the ground. So. And there's still so much snow right now that it's hard to see anything anyways. And are what are the are there rules to shed hunting? I mean, just somebody that uh, I could remember years ago. One of the assistant principals I worked with uh, was reminding a, a, a kid about a skull that he had. That you know, you really should have a tag for that. But I, the way I understand it, shed hunting is a little bit different in terms of going out and 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 if and if I'm putting you on the spot and and you're not totally aware of that. I understand we can go, we can do some research on that. So edit this out. Um, no, I, there's a couple things that I can't 100% say for sure. I do know there are rules, especially if you're on public land. Um, for the most part, taking sheds is completely legal. Um, there's a couple of areas, like if you're in any of the like caves in uh, the Black Hills that are their national parks, but you have to pay for entrance and things like that. Then I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to take anything. Um, taking deadheads, you do need to get a um, salvage tag. Um, so a permit for that thing with that is GFP. If they're over, like if they're a bigger deadhead, a lot of times they'll confiscate it and then sell it. Um, like as a fundraiser or things like that, they'll raffle them off. Um, some of the things that I wanted to mention today are the things that you can be doing now, kind of in the lull between now and, and turkey season. And I know one thing that I am not very good at or I'm not, I haven't done it with regularity in, is that is cleaning guns, oiling guns, um, taking care of all of your equipment in general. So do you have a routine at all that, that with regard to end of season and, and getting things cleaned and oiled and packed away? 
Mm, I usually clean my gun um, like after I hunt anyways, especially if it's wet conditions or really humid conditions or I'm pretty clumsy, so I fall a lot, especially when we're pheasant hunting, um, as the bruises on my legs <laughs> can prove. So usually my gun ends up in the snow. So I, I've i gotten fairly good at just taking my gun apart and wiping it down after I'm done hunting anyway, so I don't really have to worry about that too much. Just, just, just for anybody that might be hunting with Catherine in the future, remember that she falls quite often, so maybe you want to, uh, you know, be a little bit further away from her. Yeah, no, I'm pretty clumsy. I, like, get excited and just don't look at where I'm walking and then end up chirping on sticks, and sometimes I just trip on the air. It's like, I just, I don't know, I just fell, so. Well, you know, it's, it's good to show that we're just not perfect. That's, no. that's that's a good thing. Definitely not perfect. Um, one thing I learned this year is I waited too long to take down my ground blind. And so I have some snow damage. The stakes obviously were frozen in the ground after two weeks of below zero weather. And, and the snow damage was completely my fault. So I've got some repairs to make on that. And and really, I guess I have to make some decisions in terms of how long or how late into the season I'm going to hunt and um, what tools I'll use. You know, as a ground blind, it probably wasn't the best idea for me to use that that late unless I maybe was going to hold it down with cement blocks or something like that. I don't know. I've lost a couple of ground blinds. It happens. Well, it does. It's... It's, uh, but it's frustrating because it could have been prevented if I wasn't lazy. And that's what it really came down to is that it was cold and I didn't want to go out and do that. So that was two years ago, Nate and I broke two blinds. One was his dad's, which I felt really bad about that. Um, but we were same kind of thing. We had it out late season and ended up snowing a bunch and collapsed in on itself and was destroyed. Um, and then the other one was during that derecho that we had. Sure. Well, Nate says it wasn't the derecho, but I'm pretty sure it was during the derecho. Um, we had it like up on a hill and it just got absolutely, it, the wind picked it up. We found it like 400 yards away and it was again, just destroyed. So <laughs> it's that. And for those of you listening, a derecho is a straight line wind that is a uh, very high speed. It does not have the tornadic action that tornadoes have. So, uh, and uh, they are very damaging storms. So when the sky turned green, yeah, that's not a good sign when it turns green or when it gets the color of apple juice head for cover. <laughs> apple juice. Yeah. That's what, that's my kids were always, that's, and they referred to it as an apple juice sky. The, uh, also time we we did in our podcast uh turkey 101 we talked about the the planning stages of turkey hunting and so this is also that time where you can continue to plan and scout and and practice for turkey season so no matter what it is that you are going to use as a tool to harvest turkey whether it's a shotgun or bow and arrow or crossbow or compound bow sorry and uh and calling, that's something that probably you need to do on a, on a regular basis as well. So. See if you can annoy your family, your wife, your kids, your friends. 
your roommate. <laughs> you say you say that like a question, like it's a question. I don't think that's a question. It's like just annoy anybody that's around you. See if you can call a turkey in. <laughs> there you go. That might be that might be uh, uh, easier be said a than done. Pretty good stool. Yeah. Pretty good story. Story. Pretty know. good stool. <laughs> <laughs> just for uh, the record, we are recording this in the morning and and this is kind of early for Catherine to be up so and she's not a coffee drinker so well the other thing that happened here recently is what I'm kind of referring to it as is an end of an era uh, your mom and I I had a Kawasaki mule <clears throat> excuse me and um, is a three passenger two two seat belts three passenger but and uh, we did, we do enjoy uh, using the ATV for going on trails. We we went on trails up in Minnesota and, and back in my home area of northeast Nebraska, the country roads. But uh, we decided to upgrade our UTV and we traded in the mule for a ranger crew. The The mule was named by my mother, who in her first ride... Uh, named it Festus. And for those of you that are my age or older, you probably understand the reference to Festus and a mule with regard to gun smoke. Catherine, I'm sure, does not have a clue as to what I'm referring to. You've told me this story before, so I know now. But Yeah, you're right. But uh, for those of you that are um, aware of gun smoke and Festus, Festus of course, was a deputy, and and he rode only a mule. He did not ride a horse. So anyway, so Festus is no longer part of the family, but uh, over the weekend, you and your sister Teresa de- deemed our new ranger. Ranger Rick. Ranger Rick. And I'm okay with that. Ranger Rick magazine is part of, I think, the national... Uh, Oh, goodness sakes. Now I put myself... Uh, National Wildlife Federation? I have no idea. I, I, not, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get that. But uh, I, my aunt subscribed to Ranger Rick for me when I was young, and I truly believe that that was an influence for me to go into my career of biology or science and, and teaching. So... My grandchildren now get Ranger Rick Jr. subscriptions from Grandpa. So that's where we're at with that. Um, One of the things that one of the projects I'm working on right now for a future podcast deals with um, the topic of crossbows and and the, the controversy that surrounds them in some areas. Um, I'm not aware of there being a controversy uh, in Nebraska, but I don't remember exactly um, uh, when, I guess I do, someplace I I came across this, maybe around 2011, but I don't remember that controversy taking place, but uh, neighboring state Minnesota here, I subscribe to a publication called The Outdoor News, and uh, there are some Minnesota archery hunters that are not very happy uh, that crossbows were approved to be a uh, an archery, a weapon of archery during the archery season. 
So I am in the process of contacting people and collecting numbers, uh, say prior to and um, after the approval, and trying to find out uh, information like, are those that are using crossbows, are they uh, older in age? Are they younger? Um, just how many people really maybe gave up hunting with a compound bow. So it's, it's interesting. And so far, what I've come across, and some of this is my own personal opinion, you know, a crossbow is not the same as a compound bow or really any bow recurve as well. Um, and both have a long history. It's not a situation that, you know, crossbows were just invented within the last 10 or 20, 30 years or so. I mean, we're talking centuries in terms of the invention of recurve bows and crossbows. So, uh, and there's a lot of talk about how crossbows shouldn't be used during the, or should they should only be used during the firearm season. And you yourself have referred to them as cross guns. So, so I think I kind of have a little bit of what your opinion is, but, uh, you know, it's, it, I've seen you or I watched you shoot your bow, your compound bow, and you're accurate to what yardage would you say? Confident. 50 yards. And, and, and I would say that's about the same for me with the, my crossbow. And and I think that some of the crossbows can be accurate to 100 yards, which I just cannot believe some of the tension that that has to be the the, the potential energy that has to be stored in that in order to to get a bolt that far. Yeah. But but uh, so anyway, there's there's a lot of talk uh, in anyway in the the Minnesota public opinion type uh, areas that crossbow should only be used during the firearm season. Uh, the question I ask, and I don't know if it, I can't be the only person that have, has thought this, but, you know, would archery hunters give up part of their season to open up a crossbow only season? I mean, already archery shares it with firearm and muzzle loaders, correct? I mean, I'm, I'm not... It depends on where you are. So like South Dakota, the archery season doesn't close during other seasons. Um, but I know like Iowa does. Um, I'm guessing Minnesota does. I don't yeah. really know. I don't know about Minnesota. Nebraska does not. Archery season is open Percy. from beginning to end. And, and those other seasons are, are part of that. So Iowa's got a couple like weird rules. So they've got like first, second, third season. They've got... <clears throat> Muzzle loader. Uh, yeah, I don't really quite understand how the Iowa seasons work, but I do know that their archery season closes during their gun seasons. So, well, that's uh, I, I like I said, I'm in the beginning stages of of researching. I've got some some uh, requests out for information uh, from uh, the Minnesota DNR, and and the I'm in the process of getting a hold of a contact in the Nebraska Game and Parks. And, I, and again, South Dakota still requires the, the medical waiver for crossbow use. So, so things are a little bit different, I would say, in, in, in South Dakota. Which I'm not going to get into this too much because, again, it'll be a later podcast topic. 
But personally, I think that that's kind of the way to go. Like having either you say like 60 and older or have a medical reason to not be able to use a compound bow. Okay. And just to be devil's advocate, then why can anyone that's within the range or age and have had hunter safety use a rifle? It's a different season. Well. You get a certain, you get, what, three weeks in South Dakota? Um, like I said, archery is still open. So the thing about archery season, why people want to do it is because it's open for so much longer. Because you get an extra three months of trying to get a deer where people who don't, this isn't always the case, but sometimes it is just people that don't want to put in as much work that you need to do with a compound bow. That is an opinion. Opinion. Yes. That's why, that's why I'm saying it's not always true. Right. Um, but the, the thing is that like I work in an archery shop, right? You buy a crossbow, you sight it in, depending on the crossbow, you shoot it at, so like the Raven, the sequence is you shoot it at 20 yards, you go out to 50, 20 or 30 yards, you go out to 50, make sure it's dialed in, go back to 20, make sure it's dialed in, go to 50, make sure it's dialed in, you're sighted into 100 yards. You don't ever have to shoot it again until you're out in the hunting. Where with a compound, there's a lot more that goes into it. For the most part, you sight in every 10 yard increment. And then instead of just looking down a scope and pointing and shooting, there's way more to the shot process. Well, I think this is a good example of how this will be a future podcast and how you have differing opinions. So I'm looking forward to that because I think that uh, sometimes we are maybe a little bit tunnel visioned with, with our thoughts because one of the things I am researching is basically public opinion when compound bows, because compound bows really have a much a uh, shorter history than crossbows or recurve bows. We're talking late sixties. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if there was any controversy there to the purists in recurve bow hunting and, and the fact that this compound bow gives you unfair advantage. And again, I, I enjoy hunting and I do like the fact that I can use a crossbow and hunt for a longer period of time. And you can attest to this. I'm not out trying to harvest as many deer as possible. It it makes the hunting a much more relaxed adventure as opposed to being a firearm hunter. And you've in Nebraska, you've got from Saturday, um, basically it's a week, two weekends in a week. Uh, and so you know, everybody's really focused in that time to, to harvest their deer. And, and although that's fun, I'm sure, um, I just haven't done it that much. So anyway, so the future topic and, and, uh, I would, I would hope that this would be something that would be of interest to some of our listeners at least. And, and if nothing else, you'll have to tune in to listen to Catherine and I go back and forth about yeah, it. So. Argue. Argue. 
See if we start throwing punches by the end of it. That's right. If you see, if you hear something going on, some <laughs> shuffling, and we'll probably leave that one unedited just to make sure that people don't think that we're... But uh, the research, there's a lot of reading that's involved with that. And unlike Catherine, who just likes to look at pictures, <laughs> I, I enjoy reading. Is it too soon? No. Okay. <laughs> but uh, um, there are state publications that people can uh, uh, subscribe to that have a variety of ideas for outdoor activities, and I'm just going to focus on South Dakota, Nebraska, and Minnesota, and they're excellent. I've, I've read all three or experienced all three, and uh, the Nebraska Game and Parks has what is called Nebraska Land Magazine, and I'm not poking the bear here. The, the photography in, in Nebraska Land Magazine is one of its draws. It's just absolutely amazing. And, uh, and it, the, the material in it is, is good for anybody that, um, is a outdoorsman. Uh, the South Dakota game fish and parks has what, uh, they call the conservation digest. And, um, you can subscribe to that. Also, uh, a wide variety of, of, um, articles in it that can provide ideas for activities during all times of year. I think that one's published quarterly. And then the Minnesota DNR publishes the Minnesota Conservation Volunteer. And uh, that also is a very excellent publication that uh, I would encourage you to look into any type of, of subscription and it, those obviously just aren't the only ones out there. So we try to, to pre-plan as much as we can with regard to our podcasts. And again, we've made this request to our listeners. If there are certain topics or things of interest that they would like us to research or um, to um, have as a podcast topic, we would entertain those suggestions. And again, we can be reached at uh, what email address, Catherine? Mm, you're putting me on the spot. Unbroken arrows at unbroken arrows podcast at yeah. gmail.com. Correct. And then Instagram at unbroken arrows podcast. Okay. So, or on our website, we on, have a handy dandy little tell us your thoughts. That's right. And that is unbroken arrows podcast.com. Mm -hmm. So, but, uh, the the podcast, future podcasts, we have interviewed a gentleman by the name of Marty DeWitt. He's a local photographer here in the Sioux Falls area, and he primarily takes wildlife and outdoor photography. And we will have him or that podcast will be uploaded within the next couple of weeks. Greg Wagner of the Nebraska Game and Parks. It will be interviewed uh, for a future podcast. Uh, Catherine will be interviewing your brother, AJ, and his friend, Zach. That will be one to tune into, I am sure. <laughs> I did ask that I get to listen to it prior to it being uploaded, but maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just, just let it... Just be surprised. Just be surprised. And then uh, 
Catherine's oldest sister, Mesa. We want to have her on the podcast because uh, we want her to have the opportunity to talk about her most recent successful hunt that she had up in the hills uh, with her uncle, Mark. Um, I also am in communication with local and national representatives of the American Legion's Be the One campaign. I've mentioned that before on the podcast. It is there to assist uh, people in being able to start conversations with veterans uh, with regard to, um, do you need help? Uh, where can you get help? Let me help you uh, in any way I can. And then on kind of a similar topic, uh, we will be interviewing a gentleman by the name of Mark Richardson, and he is part of the Wisconsin-based Take a Vet Fishing Program. And I came across this program, and it it is very interesting, and it's open to uh, veterans not just in Wisconsin. Some of the some of the different state programs are for residents of that particular state. This one is not so. Anybody in the area here would uh, a veteran that would like to be or to get some information on this uh, should be able to tune in on that particular program. And and again, I'm not trying to say that there are um, only programs that uh, I'm not going away from our local area because I know that the Pheasants Forever has a veterans program in conjunction with the Sioux or South Dakota uh, Game Fish and Parks. And that's uh, something that you can get more information on the Game Fish and Parks website uh, at the outdoor campus. Uh, and that's where they talk about the different programs. Coming up is, and if you listen to our podcast with our guest, Bob St. Pierre of Pheasants Forever, the Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is coming up in March, March 1st through the 3rd in Sioux Falls. And uh, you're going to be there, right, Catherine? Yes, I will be at the Shields booth with my brother, AJ, and one other gentleman from Shields. Um, and we will be there Friday and Saturday. Yeah. And if I remember the sponsorship levels, I do believe Shields is a, is a diamond sponsor, which uh, I know Bob mentioned that in our podcast, that Shields is a tremendous supporter of Pheasants Forever. And uh, among m- many others, there are um, companies that are supporting this, and, and we really appreciate their support of the outdoors. The... One of the things that, uh, again, to maybe uh, revisit and uh, give Bob a little bit of, uh, well, like he probably needs it. But anyway, um, Bob hosts a podcast called On the Wing, which is part of the Pheasants Forever um, program or uh, nonprofit organization. And he... uh, had a podcast here just recently and his guest was Dave Simonette and he mentioned Dave Simonette on our podcast when we interviewed him and and Dave is the lead singer and part of Trampled by Turtles and there is a concert the 29th the evening of February 29th that uh, 
Trampled by Turtles is in part supporting Pheasants Forever with that concert. It's kind of leading into the, the weekend. And the last I saw, there are still a few tickets, but not very many left. But I did purchase tickets for your mother and I. And I am a Trampled by Turtles fan. So anyway, uh, if you don't have plans that weekend, that would be a, a great event to take place. And, and on the Pheasants Forever website, you can access the schedule and see the different types of events there. And, and on our next podcast, we might be sharing a little bit of news about the Unbroken Arrows podcast and the Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. So there's your teaser. Stay tuned. Okay, one thing I did want to just throw out there, and and I think you did um, a shout out on Instagram, but uh, we we talk about having family members on our podcast and such, and and um, you threw out a uh, a shout out for my son Trey, uh, the intro and outro music that. Uh, you hear on our podcast our original works by Trey, and on Instagram I think it's Pav Made It. So if you if you uh, want to hear some of the different things that that uh, he has written and produced, uh, we really appreciate his time and effort that uh, and he allows us to to use his music. So um, thank you, Trey, and uh, keep it up keep up the good work. So anything else that uh, has been going on the last couple of weeks? No, I think we covered it. Anything in the future that's uh, going to be happening? Uh, some ice fishing is taking place. It's just a... I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I. it just scares me. It really does. Um, you can see if you're driving on interstate or highways, you can see people in their ice shacks out there. And, and, you know, I'm about a 250, 55 pound guy and, oh man. I, I don't just, know. I have heard that some of those bigger lakes still have 12, 13 inches of ice on them. So, well, I don't know if that's still true, but right. do your research because if you're going to go ice fishing, you know, please do your research and check with the the locals and the the game and parks of the the state that you're going going to be in because um, you know ice is a funny thing. It can be six inches or a foot thick in in one area, and you know five six feet away from that, it could be two inches. So so be careful. As we, as we end, we like to remind people that if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health issues, the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available by dialing 988, and they are there to help. So to all our listeners, take some time to get outside, get outdoors, and experience its healing powers. With that, until next time. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> we'll talk to you all later.